Yeah, thank you, uh, Nessia, for that uh, recitation. It's, uh, it's interesting when you look at the book of Jonah and trying to understand the purpose of that book uh, in, and its place in the Bible, but uh, really one of the strong points of the book is uh, that of God's mercy. And uh, it seems like Jonah had a hard time uh, coming to terms with the fact that God would uh, show mercy to a terrible city like the city of Nineveh. And yet uh, Jonah himself was a recipient of God's uh, mercy. And uh, it would always do well for those who receive mercy to show mercy to others. Let's go ahead and commit our time again to the Lord and then look at our passage today. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We recognize it's uh, wide-ranging, far-reaching, and it has reached even us. Help us as uh, we look at your word this morning to appreciate the special lessons you have for us in it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I... Uh, was sitting at my desk perhaps two, three years ago, I forget exactly when it was, when my phone uh, started beeping yeah, with kind of a, something that sounded like an alarm, like a burglar alarm. And uh, then I noticed it wasn't a sound that was just coming from my phone. Uh, let me silence it while I'm talking about it. Uh, it was also coming uh, from the uh, neighboring uh, cubicles to me. Uh, and I don't know if you ever experienced it, but it's something called the Amber Alert, the Amber Alert. And uh, this is due to, uh, I mean, there's probably been multiple events in the past, but there was a, a girl named Amber, a nine-year-old girl, uh, who was uh, kidnapped and uh, brutally murdered. Uh, her body was found four days after uh, her kidnapping. And... Uh, it uh, caused people to look for ways to try to protect the weak, the vulnerable, the children in our midst. And someone came up with this idea that, well, if we broadcast, if as soon as a child is gone uh, missing, a reason to believe that they've been uh, kidnapped and they're in harm's way, uh, we should do everything we can to protect them. And uh, by letting as many people know as possible, be it by TV or radio, or by your own cell phone, uh, it increases the likelihood that someone will, will find and protect this child. Uh, maybe it would be a um, deterrent for someone who would think of doing something like this to a child to realize as soon as that child is missing, everybody is going to know about it. Uh, it's not something you're going to get away with. And this passage, I would submit to you that the Lord is sounding an equivalent of the Christian Amber Alert in his concern for uh, the little ones among us. Uh, let's go ahead and read the passage, and then we'll uh, comment on it as the Lord gives us light. Uh, this is in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 6, continuing from where we were in our last passage. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hang around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offenses come. 
If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If we think about the context of this passage, we will see that in uh, the previous verses of chapter 18, the disciples came to Jesus and uh, asked him, saying, uh, Lord, who is the greatest? Or uh, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And uh, the Lord responds uh, in the previous passage that Matt covered with uh, pointing out the, really the danger of their position as pride. He pointed out that this desire to be great uh, will, would keep one from the kingdom of heaven. They had to be converted and become as little children if they wanted to enter the kingdom of heaven themselves. Um, then he warned them it would keep them from being great in the kingdom of heaven. The greatest is the one who humbles himself as this little child. And uh, finally, he points out to the greatness of receiving a little child uh, in his name. And um, Jesus, it's interesting, in, in the passage in Mark, uh, it actually, and I think Matt pointed out, it describes him as taking the little child in his arms as he was speaking to them about. And it's almost in my mind like Jesus is seeing danger signs, uh, bells ringing, alarm uh, bells ringing, as he sees his disciples thinking about becoming great. What will it take to become great in the kingdom of heaven? Why is that? Uh, I think because often our pursuit of greatness comes at the expense of others. Our pursuit of greatness comes at the expense of others. I enjoy listening to uh, books on tape while I'm uh, on my commute, and one of the ones I started listening to, I actually I didn't finish listening to it because it was just so disturbing, but I started listening to a biography of Napoleon and as, as most of you know, Napoleon started at a relatively humble origins. Uh, he was technically a, a nobleman's son, but definitely out in the backwaters of the empire. And he became the emperor of France and really the ruler of all Europe, which at the time was uh, the center of world power. So he really became the greatest person in the world in his day as the world sees things. But it was at great cost. Uh, to others. Some people estimated three million casualties in Europe as a result of the, result of the Napoleonic Wars. And, um, and so it is if you look uh, across history at great men. It came at great expense to the people 
uh, at the bottom. And here are the disciples, the people whom God was going to commit, to, Jesus was going to commit to them, his sheep. These would be the ones who were trained to uh, reach out with the gospel, and, and they would see people getting saved, and they would have all these little ones, these Christian babies on their hands, and for them to be thinking, how can I become great in the kingdom of heaven uh, would mean not taking care of the sheep that Jesus was giving them. And so uh, in this passage, we will see perhaps seven uh, different uh, warnings the Lord Jesus is giving uh, or wants them to consider as they're thinking about these little ones uh, that they, they really will be responsible for. The first one uh, he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hang around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So a millstone was something in the good old days uh, when you, you harvested your wheat, you uh, separated out the kernels, the seeds that you would actually eat. Uh, you would put them on a stone, like a flat stone, and then you take another stone on top of it uh, and then you would turn it around or you would use a, like a donkey or a powerful animal to turn it around and it would basically ground the, uh, the wheat kernel into powder. Okay, imagine perhaps uh, being taken out on a boat in a lake and then someone puts one of these millstones on your neck and throwing you in the water, right? It's not a, <laughs> not a pleasant picture, okay? Uh, Matt spoke last time about the fact that Jesus' words were radical. But they were true. And Jesus is saying, it would be better for you if someone did that for you than for you to cause one of these little ones uh, who believes in me to sin. Now, what, what do we mean when we say taking one of these little ones um, and causing them to sin? The word sin in this passage uh, is um, the root word of the English word scandalize, to scandalize, cause one of these little ones to uh, scandalize. It's used in, uh, in other places in scripture. Here is one in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if you want to turn to it, because it helps, I think it helps us understand what Jesus means by to sin. It doesn't just mean a, a simple sin. Oh, because I, uh, you know, I showed a brother or a sister an impro improper image that led them to, uh, to lust, and, uh, and therefore they sinned. I, I think it goes beyond that if we look at this passage. 1 Corinthians 8, it says, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols. So we need a little bit of background on this because it's not something we, we deal with as much today. But uh, in those days, uh, you had lots of idol temples, uh, Howard Shed going to uh, perhaps a remaining one still in, uh, in some parts of the world. These were all over the Roman Empire. And uh, <clears throat> you could go there during a feast day and they would be uh, providing you with meat, the meat that they used uh, that they got from the animal that they offered to the idol. And uh, that would be attractive if you were hungry or if you didn't have enough money to put meat on the table. It would be really attractive to go to one of these uh, temple feasts and enjoy the meat. 
uh, that was being offered there. Now, perhaps <coughs> some believers could actually do it with a good conscience and say, you know, this is just meat, right? This idol is nothing, uh, and I'm hungry, I need food. The Lord would not uh, begrudge me going to this idol temple and eating meat. And perhaps some believers could do it with a good conscience, believing there's actually nothing wrong with this meat. It's just meat, and these people are unfortunately led astray, but uh, I will go ahead and provide for myself from that meat. But does him who is weak, this would fall under the category of, category of one of these little ones. It's not necessarily a child, uh, chronologically, but a child spiritually, a person who would not be able to separate the two. You know, I'm eating this meat that was offered to an idol. I'm therefore worshiping the idol, the false god. Uh, would be considered a weak brother in this particular passage. Uh, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? He would see this more mature brother going into the temple, idol temple, and eating the meat, and he would follow, like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Right? But this person is not doing it with uh, confidence that this is not a sin. This person, um, it says, and because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound the weak conscience, you sin against, against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. The word stumble here is the same word to be scandalized. Right? It's a scandal. Uh, the person who uh, committed this sin has, has a guilty conscience. I mean, the, the person who followed the other brother into the temple and ate the meat offered to idols uh, has been scandalized and is not in fellowship with God. Uh, and his relationship with God has been damaged. Who knows? Perhaps irreparably. Not necessarily, I mean, if, he, if he's saved, he's saved forever. But his walk with the Lord may never be the same. He may never grow to be the mature believer that God wanted him to be because of the brother that had confidence that he wasn't sinning against God going in ended up really causing the other younger brother, the little one, to stumble. And I believe that is what Jesus is talking about in our passage in Matthew when he says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin it's really, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in, believes in me to be scandalized, to stumble, to lose their fellowship with God. And Jesus is saying it would be better for him, for that other believer, the one who caused the younger believer to stumble. It would be better for him if a millstone were hanging around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So... Very uh, strong words by the Lord Jesus, but true, right? This is what Jesus says, it must be true. And therefore, reason one of why we should not cause one of these little ones to stumble. Next, Jesus says, Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense Comes. And remember, we're talking here about offenses that will cause a believer to lose his fellowship 
with God. Um, why must offenses come? And why will the world be uh, judged for it? I believe because it's really talking um, about the, the work of the devil here. Uh, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Be sober. Sorry, that's verse 8. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Uh, Peter was writing at the time of persecution. And uh, believers were being dragged to jails. Uh, some of them uh, were uh, tortured, and some were even killed. And uh, the ones behind that persecution uh, demanded one thing. They demanded the believer to renounce their faith in Jesus. And what uh, Peter is telling us, this was really the work of the devil. It's from your adversary, the devil, uh, walking like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Why is he devour? What does that mean? Well, he is going to break off the fellowship of believers with Christ. If you as a believer denied your faith, well, if you were really saved, you, you wouldn't lose your salvation, but boy, that would create a real break in fellowship with God to know that you've denied the faith uh, and, and something that certainly was happening during that time. Um, and again, uh, believers may have never recovered fully from that. For the rest of their lives, they, they suffered. Their walk suffered from the fact they denied the Lord. Uh, and, and the connection here, uh, in my mind, is, is Jesus is warning them, you are doing the same thing. If you, by perhaps taking your liberties, are causing another believer to stumble, you are joining in the work of the devil. This is what the devil is about. He's trying to to break up fellowship. He's trying to devour uh, believers, and, and you are acting along with it. Yes, it, it must happen. There will be uh, those persecutions. There will be these spiritual attacks designed to, to harm believers. Don't you be part of it. Don't you be part of it. That was reason two. Uh, Reason three, and, and this is, a, I confess, uh, can be a difficult verse. Uh, in verse eight through nine, Jesus talks about if your hand or foot causes you to sin, uh, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is better for you to enter into life uh, lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And then he more or less repeats it with the eye. Um, I confess, the first time I look at a passage like this, it kind of makes me think, oh, you know, is it possible to lose your salvation? I don't think this is what Jesus is talking about here. You have to accept what he's saying in a literal sense. He really is just saying it's better. And um, what it makes me think of is, you know, if you add the plus and minuses, it's clearly still to your benefit to, to be saved from hell, but lose these different parts of you that you might hold very dear. And, it, and it's true. You know, would you rather go to hell or would you rather lose an arm or an eye or a foot? I would much rather lose an arm or an eye or a foot than go to hell, right? And uh, uh, 
when I, I'm trying to, to find an illustration here. When I uh, refinanced my house a few months ago, I asked some of you to pray for that, I had to look carefully at the plus and minuses, right? Because you're, yeah, I'm going to get a, a lower rate, but I have to, to pay, you know, certain closing costs. And I need to add the two and make sure that at the end of the day, I'm really going to save money. And then I could say, yes, clearly this was a good deal for me. I should go ahead and get the lower rates. Um, in, the same, uh, in the same sense here, now, we already are saved, um, but I might, uh, let, let's say I'm, I'm, you know, going back to this situation where there was uh, an idol's temple and food was offered there. And I was like, well, beforehand, before I became a believer, and I was responsible for, you know, this little one over here, hey, I could go and, and enjoy that meat all day long. You know, maybe it wasn't such a good deal to believe in Jesus. Wait a second. You've been saved from an eternity in hell. Is it such a big deal to give up on meat? And, and Paul, in fact, said in that passage, I will never eat meat again. If by never eating meat again, I can keep my brother from stumbling, I will, I will give it up for the rest of my life. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. Even if we have to give up, even if we have to give up on something uh, that might be dear and important to us, for the sake of a, of a, of a little one, a young believer, we still got the better end of the deal, right? We get to go to heaven. We've been saved from hell. It shouldn't be such a big deal to give up on something that, yes, maybe technically I have a right to, but I'm so far ahead when I balance being saved from hell. Uh, whatever I might have to give up on in this life, you know, I still got by far the better end of the deal. I shouldn't, you know, have a sad face. Oh, no, I can't do this. It's like, Praise the Lord, I'm going to heaven. Ah, this, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give up on anything else. You know, it's not a big deal to give up on these things in my life that could be stumbling uh, a little one. Okay, uh, reason number four, and this is an interesting one, another interesting verse in this passage. Jesus says, uh, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And I confess, I stopped and, you know, what is he exactly talking about? And uh, as usual, you know, I'll, I'll look some commentaries up. And um, Bill in his commentary mentioned that this is speaking about guardian angels. And uh, I confess that I've never really thought much about guardian angels. The idea of a guardian angel is that um, there is an angel who is looking out for you. There is an angel that is looking out for you. And, you know, we, whenever we say, you know, that's what, you know, we believe something, we want it to be grounded in the word of God, right? We don't want to just say, oh, yeah, I have a guardian angel. How do you know my mother told me? You know, we need something better than that. Well, this is one passage, right? This is one passage that uh, it says that uh, there is an angel for a little one. It says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels, there is an angel assigned to them, always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So there is an angel who belongs or in some sense is assigned to that little one. 
that is seeing the face of Jesus' Father, or really God the Father, who is in heaven. So, I mean, you could just take that verse and stop there, but there's really other verses. For example, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, just to get some context, I'll start in verse 13, says, But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Talking about the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is the one who gets to sit at the right hand of God. But then the author continues saying, Are they, the angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? So what are angels? They're ministering spirits. They're servants. What is their job? They're sent forth to minister or to serve those who will inherit salvation. Who's that? Us. Angels are sent forth as God's servant, to serve us. I mean, that's clearly what it says in this passage. Um, and, uh, but you can think of other verses in the Bible. For example, Genesis 28, 12. Jacob's dream. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Right? So... That was Jacob's dream. Later in John, Jesus talks about himself and says, you will see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is, there is a real transport between heaven and earth of angels coming down and angels going up. Why? Because they're attending to us. Psalm 91, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And we can go on and on. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians, he talks about women wearing head covering because of the angels. There's angels in our midst, right? And it's, you know, they're looking. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> uh, Ephesians 3.10 talks about the church as, as a means for which God reveals his wisdom to the angels, right? They're observing us, not just in our meeting here, but really throughout our walk on earth. The church is the body of Christ on earth, and it is one of the ways God chose to reveal the, his manifold wisdom to the angels. So all I'm saying here is this is really a consistent teaching through the scripture that there are such things as guardian angels, Right? And when you have a little one that maybe you don't think much of, they have a guardian angel who has enough status to be standing before God in heaven. Do you really want to mess up that little one knowing that they have a guardian angel? That was uh, reason number four, if I counted correctly. I may, have, I may have gotten out of count. You can check with me later. Um, okay. Uh, the next reason Jesus gives, he says, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Here's an obvious one. Do you really want to hurt a person that Jesus died to save? And the answer is obvious. And then... Uh, Next one, maybe number uh, six. 
says, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Sometimes we think, well, God has so many believers, you know, what's the big deal if one of them stumbles? And here Jesus says clearly, you know, what would happen if a man has a hundred sheep? Does he care when one of them is lost? Yes, he cares. He'll go to the mountains to look for the one that is straying. That is how much God cares over a single little one that he has. Okay, um, that, uh, that's it for the list that I have. So I may have miscounted. Maybe I only had six instead of seven uh, good reasons. But really, uh, plenty of good reasons of why we should uh, care for God's little ones and not uh, uh, fail to, to esteem them as, as we should. And uh, also, really an encouragement uh, to ourselves you know, this is God's love for us, right? You too were a little one once. Maybe you're still a little one today, but it doesn't matter. We're all uh, precious to God. Um, think again of the fact that as Jesus was saying all of these things to his disciples, he was holding this little child uh, in his arms, demonstrated, demonstrating to them, this is the kind of care I have for these little ones. And so we should as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness uh, to us for this passage where we see clearly how much the Lord Jesus cares for each and every one of us. Lord, help us esteem uh, one another, and especially these little ones, the, the ones that are most vulnerable to, to stumble and to fall, to, to help and uphold them, encourage, edify them, build them up in you so they will never have to uh, lose any of the blessings you have for them here on earth and for all of eternity. We thank you in your name. Amen.